0: All right, here we are, episode 21, I think, of the Kate and Vince Skelsa podcast, which we do infrequently, but we're still doing them. And tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're, um, we're actually going to go back and listen in its entirety to an interview that I did with um, Ray Price, the great uh, country uh, singer. Um, But country singer doesn't even begin to, to really describe him and the effect that he had on country music, which was he was one of the people like in the late 50s and into the 60s who turned country music into a kind of pop music that was being listened to by all of America. And uh, I was uh, I was uh, I was nervous, you know. He's one of those guys. He's right up there in the the high echelon world, and it was a world that I didn't have all that much experience in that country world. Uh, you know, I never did radio with uh, Johnny Cash. I did it with his wife, with June Carter Cash, uh, but like Waylon Jennings and you know people like that. Uh, Chris Christopherson, you'll hear some stuff. We're going to talk about Christopherson in this and even play a a recording of his. Uh, So I'm going to shut up now and just say that this is, uh, repeating myself, episode 21 of the podcast. Maybe someday we'll pick up on where we left off with the story of my career. We were still back at NEW the first time around, back in the 70s. But for right now, this is what I'm comfortable doing, and uh, I'm just going to go back and find some things that I would like to listen to that I think uh, you would enjoy as well. So, uh, without further uh, uh, ado, or whatever that phrase is, here's uh, June eleventh, 2000, on the great WNEW radio in its second or third or fourth incarnation. Uh just before it 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 died completely. Uh the old school NEW. There were little bits and pieces of it that were still hanging around in two thousand and by the end of the year there was um it was just basically me and, you know, a lot of talk show, you know, Opie and Anthony and stuff like that. And at the end of the year, they got rid of me and they just, uh, uh, you know, went to a complete, uh, you know, silly boy talk thing. Uh, and they, uh, they they gave up on the music. Uh, and I don't, I, I'm just thinking how I just said I don't want to talk about it anymore. And yet here I am talking about it. All right, here's the show.
3: a brand new version of an old classic tune, a song that I guess more than uh, with any other vocalist would be identified with uh, Sinatra, that song called Fly Me to the Moon, and there is a brand new version of it by Ray Price from his uh, long-awaited album, an album that's taken him the better part of a decade to record and release an album called Prisoner of Love, and uh, it is my pleasure to welcome Ray Price.
1: To the Idiot's Delight studio. Thanks, Ben. I feel like I fit in.
3: (laughs) I wonder what's... There's a ringing noise over there. I wonder what that is. You hear that?
1: I thought I was just getting old and hearing Uh, things. You thought maybe you were just hearing (laughs) things.
3: You know what? Maybe if you move to this microphone. Can you move to... Can you move to that microphone? That might be a little better. I won't
1: get tangled up here. Now, how's that? That's
3: much better. All right. That's terrific. Fly Me to the Moon being a, a standard, a kind of a pop standard, mm-hmm. that uh, when we think of Ray Price, we don't necessarily think of such music. You know, we think of the country songs that right. you became famous for, although you've certainly been a crooner over the years. Um, why do a song like Fly Me to the Moon at this stage of the game?
1: Well, it was kind of a new thing then, Uh Randall Jamal, who uh, produced the record and uh, came to uh, came to me in Nashville and wanted to do this album, and then Blondie, my conductor, and myself and Randall began to pick the songs we were going to do. And uh, at first, we thought of doing just purely a jazz album, just like out of left field. Uh-huh. And uh, then uh, we kind of thought better we might ought to do something for the country people, too. So we added some country songs into the album, but with a lush, lush arrangement.
3: Yeah, yeah. So "Fly Me to the Moon" was something that someone else suggested, or was it something Blondie you brought did to that? The, Blondie did. Yeah, Very good. Um, and it worked so well. Yeah, you just kinda... well,
1: Everybody says you're trying to uh, be like Sinatra. Don't no, no. 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 Uh-uh. I just won't be like Ray Price, yeah, yeah. and I'm sure that uh, Frank wouldn't mind me singing the song. Everybody else sings it, you know. Yeah. Did you know Sinatra? No, I didn't. I wish I had met him.
3: Ray Price is in town this week. For the first time to perform in concert, he'll be down at the bottom line on uh, Wednesday night. First time before a paying audience. You've performed in town before, as I understand it. You did a... I think you did The Tonight Show at one point with uh, oh, yeah. with Carson. Right. And uh, I think there was maybe like a convention, Country Music uh, Association convention or something like that. At but, the
1: Waldorf, yeah, I did but, that.
3: But you've managed for, now you're 74, 75 years old. Right? 74, 70, please. 74 years old, <laughs> huh? You've managed uh, to uh, uh, be a performer for a good part of those 74 years and avoid New York.
1: Well, uh, now, I wasn't trying to avoid New, New York. York. I was just kind of... I didn't know exactly what the New York audience would like and I didn't want to come in and and have a fiasco or something and uh, I wanted to be sure that I could do what I thought they wanted and of course not living in New York you don't know what they're thinking but I do hope that they'll enjoy the show because we're going to do mostly a lot of the country hits Mm -hmm. that I've had out and uh, then we're going to do some from the new album and uh, it's more or less kind of a a get together thing and uh, let me uh kind of take my breath hold my breath and get into New York and see how I like it and uh, certainly need to play New York it's a great town
3: yeah yeah but for all these years when you've been uh you know on on top with number 1 records and uh crossover records and uh huge gates uh, out at the uh, performing arenas and stuff You've always managed to just skirt the city for... for it wasn't then,
1: it was the promoters.
3: They wouldn't bring you in? Right. They didn't, they didn't quite know who the audience was? Right, yeah. I suppose that. Yeah. And this was not an unusual thing for country performers. No. Throughout the, the decades, um, there has always been this feeling, I guess, that a certain kind of country performer is not going to work in New York, which is which is clearly not true. New York is the musical capital of the world. Any kind of
1: music... Right. Works in New York Absolutely. and is
3: loved uh, in, in New York.
1: That's the way I feel about music. Music's music. I don't care who plays it who sings it or who does anything. It's either good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. And uh, I've had a lot of argument with people about the way I sing, not like I used to when I was doing the straight country things. And I just tell them, well, you know, I kind of graduated a little bit. I want to get a little bit better if I can and try to improve and, uh, Of course, when Randall came with this offer, I hadn't had a record for about eight years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I always like to tell everybody that he told me if I didn't do the record that he was going to sue me for impersonating a country Uh, singer. uh,
3: (laughs) But, you know, it's so easy, Ray Price, to fall back on your laurels, to fall back on the easy thing, to fall back on that which your audience expects from you, and If that's where you're comfortable, that's okay. But if something in you kind of rebels against that and wants to go in a different direction, then you really got to work up a bit of courage, I think, to do that. And I think that's something that you've always done throughout your career. As I I read the stories from your life, you've been a bit of a rebel over the years.
4: (laughs) Yeah, just (laughs) a little bit.
3: We'll talk about all this. But first, let me identify the rest of the music that I played in that set. I played an old Dave Van Ronk recording of uh, the Teddy Bear's Picnic with a bunch of kids singing in the background. So that then led me to the Jay-Z hip-hop recording of Hard Knock Life from Oliver with those kids singing in the background. And, um, and then we finally wound up with the legendary Marvin Pontiac, the legendary Marvin Pontiac and uh, a tale that he recorded long before he was hit by a bus called Small Car. The legendary Marvin Pontiac is actually the pseudonym for a a musician here in New York, but we don't tell who he is because it's part of the joke. It's sort of like, you know how Garth Brooks a while back had that alter ego, Mm. that rock alter ego? Well, there's this very hip downtown musician here in New York, horn player, who has this alter ego, Marvin Pontiac. And Marvin Pontiac evidently spent some time in a state mental uh, institution where he recorded all of his songs. And uh, and these songs have been circulating on the musician underground for years and years. And now they're finally coming out as the legendary Marvin Pontiac's greatest hits. And uh, even though he was killed by a bus several years back, he is now uh, enjoying a degree of popularity that he never could have predicted. <laughs> the legendary Marvin Pontiac. I'm explaining this to Ray Price. The man who who... Actually, was Hank Williams' roommate for the last, what, year of Hank's life? The last year. You, bo- you were born in Texas. You grew up in Texas. Right.
1: Perryville? Perryville. A little bitty place. How little? Oh, it had two churches and one store, and all three of them are bankrupt. Yeah. What part of Texas? That's in East Texas. Okay. In the hills and where the pine trees and everything are. It's real pretty. Yeah.
3: And uh, you were on a farm? You were, you were a, an animal person, you wanted to be a veterinarian?
1: Well, I just, when I went to school, yeah, college, I, st- I wanted to study veterinarian medicine and I accidentally got into music. How? So, well, we were staying in a, I just got discharged from the Marine Corps after World War Two and uh, I was staying in a barracks where the government would let us go to school and uh, under the GI rights. And a lot of us we were in one barracks out in the Naval station in grand Prairie, texas and uh, one of the boys in the group they had a small group that played music and asked me would i sing some country songs for him for a publisher and i said we didn't have dubs at those times or demos so i said sure and i went downtown with him and the first publisher went to wasn't too anxious to hear it so they moved us. He sent us to another guy, and he was anxious.
3: Well, now, how did this guy know you could sing? He just heard you singing around the barracks.
1: Well, I yeah, yeah, he'd been, and I had sang with the group in a lot of songs, uh. you know, but uh, that really wasn't what I was into. But anyway, I sang the songs. They asked me to come back the next day. I went back the next day, and a man was there from Bullet Records in Nashville, Tennessee, with a contract, and that's how I got into it
3: you never looked back. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Did you quit college at that point?
1: Yeah, I yeah. wish I hadn't because I, I raised thoroughbred horses, and I, I could really save a lot of money if I was a That's true. That's <laughs> what you do now. You raise thoroughbreds. Right, yeah, huh? right.
3: Yeah. When you were in the Marines, did you see action?
1: No. No, I never got to go. I was only 17, uh-huh. and uh, I had been in school in Dallas going to an aviation school before I went in, and they found that out, and they put me in the— the Naval Air Station in Norman, Oklahoma, to study to be a machinist mate, which is a mechanic. Right, right. And uh, then I got injured and spent quite a few months in the hospital, and they decided it would be better for me to go on home instead of trying to make it, and which I'm thankful for. They sent me home. Sure,
3: sure. My dad was in the Army Air Corps and was a, was a mechanic and a, a trainer Mm-hmm. Um, he trained other mechanics, and so he spent a good portion of the war in Boca Raton, Florida, mm-hmm. which is a pretty cool place, I guess, to, nice, to spend, yeah. the, spend the war years, except that it was a dry county, and, <laughs> and uh, my, dad, my dad was from New Jersey, you know, and uh, from an Italian uh, family where uh, wine was on the table everywhere at every meal, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, he didn't understand the concept of dry county. So they quickly learned that they had to drive several hundred miles over to the next county if they wanted to get anything remotely resembling liquor.
1: But it certainly saved Dad's life, you know. uh. I hear that. I was raised by an Italian. My stepdad came from Evesano, Italy. Really? And a wonderful person. He's not with us anymore, but I really love my. He was my dad, you know. And and, uh, I I understand the Italian people, Uh, and I love them. They're great, you know.
3: Was there music in the
1: family as a kid growing no, up? No, I was the only one. Yeah, My brother tried to play a guitar when he was young, but it didn't work out, and there was no one to teach him and uh, no kind of fast methods to show you how to play a guitar. And uh, So it's turned out, I don't know. I just happened, like I say, got into the music end of it, although I had studied voice for a long time. And to be a singer, and yet I didn't know I wanted to be one. Uh-huh. But when they gave me my contract, that turned me on.
3: Now you learned to play guitar as well, right, or not? Worst you've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, bad, bad guitar. Bad. bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so your instrument is your voice. When I start playing guitar, everybody in the band cries. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
3: Let's go back to a real early recording, 1951, which would have been just about at the beginning of your recording career. Um, a song that Lefty Frizzell wrote called If You're Ever Lonely, Darling. Right.
5: If you're ever lonely, darling, think of all that I've been through. Long and lonesome night, sweetheart, I've waited. it coming and you know you have to pay maybe baby you will learn and change someday wow why, oh, why did you try to deceive me you've made me blue sweetheart boy
3: old recording from my guest tonight mr ray price oh i'm telling you (laughs) when you hear that voice do you even relate to that guy is he you i can see now why i changed (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) now when you came to nashville and uh, uh the grand Ole opry was i guess in full swing at that point right was that the thing that drew you to Nashville? Was that the magnet that brought you in like so many others?
1: No, that's another one of those things that happened. <clears throat> they, uh, One of the publisher, music publishers, uh, Troy Martin, wanted me to come up and uh, be on the radio to help get, you know, known. And uh, Hank Williams had a radio show on Friday nights. Was that and, the uh, health and happiness show? No, that was... Uh, Duckhead overalls. Okay, all right. And uh, so I met Hank on the show and sang a number, and Hank and I just become friends just like that. And Hank is the one that got me on the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, In fact, nobody was ever on before I was that didn't have a hit record. Hmm. But I didn't have anything, just me. So he just befriended you? He sure did.
3: He was a little older than you?
1: Mm, yeah, a little bit. A cu-
3: couple of years older Yeah. Than
1: I think I was about 23, and... The next year he died. He was twenty nine. So he yeah, had about four or five years, something like that. Yeah.
3: Now, what's the story about? He left Audrey, his his wife. They had a very uh, volatile relationship, on again, off again. Mm-hmm. And for the last year or so of his life, uh,
1: he was living with you. You guys were uh, were roommates. We shared. No, we shared a house. I was upstairs. He was standing downstairs. Uh-huh. And uh, I was kind of looking after him. I, uh Hank was not a drug addict, if you in the sense of the word. He was an alcoholic. Yeah. And uh, every now and then we'd have to take him to get dried out a little bit. He didn't like that, but that's the way it was.
3: From your point of view, what were the things that drove him? What were his demons? As a, as a friend who lived intimately with him, can you well pick that out at all?
1: Hank was raised in Montgomery, Alabama, he and his mother. And he had to shine shoes and sell peanuts on the street to make a living for he and his mother. And uh, I don't know what happened to his dad. And uh, he grew up that way, and uh, an old Negro guitar player taught him how to play blues, blues. And uh, then he met uh, Audrey, and they traveled. And he became more popular, and he went to Nashville to get on. And uh, Fred Rose talked to him. Fred was uh, one of the great writers, you know. Mm -hmm. he said, "Well, if you can write songs, go somewhere and come back three or four hours and bring me a song." So, three or four hours, I ain't come back, and he had, uh, "I'm so lonesome I could cry." And that sold Fred, and then Fred got behind him, and then uh, it just—it was too much for him. I think mm-hmm. the popularity was number one, and and the rave of everybody, and and it—I've uh, seen that destroy a lot of marriages
3: destroys a lot of marriages and it destroys a lot of egos as well. It destroys well, a true. lot of people. You know, right. they just don't know how to handle that. I mean this is the there we, we we are still in the early days of the cult of personality, um, in the forties and fifties. And you know, we've had some of these huge stars, the big band guys, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the singers like Sinatra who came out All of the right. big bands. And then we're getting now some of these stars coming out of the country world, like Hank and, and mm-hmm. Patsy Cline and people like that. And then, of course, Elvis explodes oh, yeah. in the middle of all that. Oh, yeah. But up until that point, there there was no such thing as a superstar. No. Somebody who was so adored and so owned by the public that mm-hmm. it became oppressive.
1: There was one before Hank, and for years back was Roy Acuff. Roy Acuff, okay. Yeah, he was the yeah. one. And uh, then that's who a lot of the people... Uh, his voice, they listened to the way he did things, and they tried to sing that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, George Jones is one of those kind. Mm-hmm. It has a kind of a touch of, of Cup style.
3: I was trying to explain to my daughter the other day, Ray Price. She's 19 years old, going to be 20 years old, and she's suddenly become interested in country music, but in, in old, like 40s and 50s country mm-hmm. music, and in, in Hank Williams and in Ray Price and, and in, in your peers. And I was trying to explain to her how the different modes of it developed out of the rural folk music of the Carter family and the bluegrass of, of Bill Monroe That's right. and how it all and then how it all kind of got bastardized to a certain extent by the by the sort of country politan folks, you know, by the people who thought, well, maybe if we could just tone this down just a little bit mm-hmm. and we could get a wider audience uh, for it.
1: Where do you fit in? You know, I'm one the of man. them guys that bastardize the music, yeah. I guess. Yeah, <laughs>
3: but did you? But but you're also
1: one of the guys who fought against it too. Yes, I you? did. Yeah, I did. I fought against it, and uh, uh, I'm kind of amazed, Vin. You really got my head working now, because uh-huh. it's. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. I really am. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, I'm enjoying this. You know, you bring back some old memories. Uh, Fifty years is a lot of years. They sure are. And. Uh, But when you talk about that, it did. It all changed. And uh, one of the reasons why it was like it was for so long was the only place that we could play was in the honky-tonks, in the beer joints. There wasn't other places. And then when Hank came on, of course, Roy did better than that by working at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, He never worked the honky-tonks. They didn't have that east of the Mississippi River. That was all further west. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose that's the way it was up here with saloons, you know. And uh, it's just, that was where we worked, and that had a great deal to to do and to bear on the kind of music that we were doing. Yeah.
3: So honky-tonk music had other elements in it. Honky-tonk had elements of, of blues and, and right. boogie-woogie and jazz. And, that's right, and, and swing. And that swing, and that western swing, that's right? Right. that Bob Wills kind of western swing. Right. Is it true that you and Hank Williams once wrote a song together and you never got credit for it?
1: Well, that's right. Yeah, can, name, you tell, can you tell that story? Weary Blues was the name of the song. Yeah, yeah.
3: How did you come to write it?
1: Well, when I met Hank, he took me to the Grand Ole Opry the next night. His show was on Friday night when I met him, and the next night he won't take me to the Grand Ole Opry, so I went to the Grand Ole Opry, and then he said, hey, I'm playing Evansville, Indiana. It's about 150 miles north of Nashville. I said, uh, come go with us tomorrow. I want you to see the show. So I said, okay, I was tickled to death. You know, here I was with the big cat. And, uh, he was a hero for you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, not really a hero, but he's somebody I respected as a person that I'm trying to make a living doing. You know. Uh-huh. And uh, we wrote the song on the way up there. And when we got there, Hank said, come on, let's go on inside. So they start the show. And in a few minutes, he tells the audience, I've got somebody backstage. I want you to listen sing a brand new song we just wrote coming up here. And that, like, scared me to death. <laughs> so we go out there, and, and I start singing, and I forget the words. And so he goes and gets the words and brings them out, and I start singing. Something happened, and I stopped. And we start over about five times and find the audience just having the time, really having enjoying it. And I finally sang the song. And when I got through, after that I could go play Evansville anytime, Just have a mob.
3: <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, right. Now, so you guys are driving up to Evansville.
1: Mm-hmm. You're in the car, right?
3: And uh, you're just trading lines back and forth, right? Was any? Did anybody have a guitar? Who was driving?
1: I believe Don Helm probably was driving. Still guitar player, All right? Or Jerry Rivers fiddle player, but uh, so I'm, you
3: you and Hank had your hands free. You could. Oh concentrate. yeah, we were in the back seat. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. And uh, he said. Uh, What do you want to do? I said, let's write a song. He said, what kind? I said, well, how about Weary Blues? Uh I don't know where that name comes from. And he said, that's it. So we started writing it. And then when I went home, he called me and said, uh, look, instead of you recording this thing, why don't you let me record it? (laughs) (laughs) I was looking bad for a song. Uh yeah, yeah. And you knew this was a good one. Oh, yeah. I thought it was (laughs) anyway. So in fact, I believe Tony Bennett recorded that later, that very same song. Really? I, I'm not sure. But uh, if he sang it, he sang it good, I'll guarantee yeah, that. Right. But but uh anyway, we agreed to let me do the the record and then he uh wanted me to come to Nashville, he talked to the people there and, and they let me on in fifty two, January fifty two. And I lived with him till about Oh, about the middle of the summer. And they let him go for drinking in, at uh, the Grand Ole Opry. Uh-huh. And he went to Shreveport, Louisiana Hayride, where he had started years ago. And
3: same kind of radio show. Right?
1: Oh, yeah, same thing. Yeah. And uh, he went down there and he married uh, a girl down there. And uh, rest of it's history.
3: Yeah. Let's play the Hank Williams version of uh, Weary Blues. Great.
6: Okay. Weary Blues. Uh, yeah from waiting Lord I've been waiting too long These blues have got me crying Oh sweet mama please come home The snow falls right. my heart. Through tears I watch young lovers as they go strolling by. Oh, all the things that might have been, God forgive me. Home.
3: Well, unfortunately, um, Ray Price, I don't have a copy of your version.
1: It's better you don't oh, play so. it now. So.
3: <laughs> you think Hank did the definitive one? Oh, yeah, he did right? it. Yeah, yeah. He's still uh, such a charismatic, mythical figure, mm-hmm. isn't he? You know, you can, you can mention others like Roy Acuff, you know, who influenced him. But for some reason, as the years have gone by, have not retained that same sort of, um, what, sexy, youthful, rebel, all those things that go along with, with Hank Williams, you know, the, 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 the tragic drunken death in the backseat of a limousine on New Year's Day. The whole thing just is like a poem, you know, it's like a movie. Um, could you have predicted that when you knew him? that all these many years later he would still be a source of such fascination?
1: Well, he was so big at the time. Uh, and I played uh, some dates on the road with him. I saw it. And and uh, the people loved him because he was one of them. And uh, he didn't pretend to be anything else, mm. you know. And he was the beginning of the change in the music because people began to record the Hank Williams sound in New York. Tony did uh, Cold Cold Heart Mm -hmm. and the other acts did uh, a lot of his songs and he just, he was in his glory when one of those guys would sing one of his songs.
3: Well, he was the great big crossover artist. He was the guy who got out of the, the South got out of the, the honky-tonk radio stations That's and made right. it into the rest of the world and became a respectable artist in the, in the, the, the eyes of the so-called
1: northern-cultured, civilized world, right.
3: I guess. Sure, so he turned things around and led the way for Presley, I guess, too, didn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah. you know, it's funny. I knew I was real well, and I used to play Friday nights in, uh, at the beginning in uh, Memphis, and during the intermission... Elvis would play his guitar and sing. I knew Elvis before. In fact, it was on our show that uh, uh, Colonel Parker was brought his attention to the fact that Elvis was going to really be somebody. Oh. It was in Memphis. Elvis was a nice person. So you knew
3: him before he became
1: oh, Elvis. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I knew him after, too. He never yeah, changed.
3: Really? No. Really? Did you continue to know him as he did change, as he got more and more involved in abusing himself and becoming paranoid and all that kind of stuff?
1: Or? No, that was after he had moved to California. Yeah, and right. uh, Hollywood got hold of him. Hollywood got hold of him. You know what, and he had a deal worked out with I understand with Tom Parker was that he would never go out, he would be the mystique thing. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go to a movie one time I'm told and Tom said you go to the movie and we're through. Now, I'll have the movie brought to you, uh-huh, uh-huh. but you don't go to the movie. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. He was a prisoner in a way.
3: Which then you have to begin to sympathize with uh, with the things that he did to try and escape that prison. Absolutely. We talked about honky-tonk before. Can I play an old song called uh, Move On In and Stay? Sure. And would this be an example of a good honky-tonk song, Do you think?
1: That's Hank, Move On In Stay.
3: Move on in and stay. Somebody named C. Smith wrote it. Well, here, let me. Just, I'll just play for you. It's okay. got, I know it's, the song. I'm just yeah, wondering who's singing it. It's is. got. Uh, it's got what. Uh, what I think has a, a kind of a honky tonk sound to it.
5: There's an empty spot inside my heart for someone just like you been saving all my hugs and kisses and I hope you save some too so pack your loving in your little old bag and move on in today cause you got all the loving that I'll ever need so move on in and stay move on in stay a long long time and don't ever go away cause I want you near forever dear so move on in and stay I've changed. been looking for someone just like you I've already got the ring I'll hold you tight and love you right and honey I couldn't stray cause you got all the loving that I'll ever need so move on in to stay move on in stay a long long time there's no rent to pay cause I want you near forever dear so move on in and stay Pay because I want you near forever, dare so move on in and stay.
3: So you didn't recognize that that was you, huh? Boy, you <laughs> trapped
1: me right off base there. I'll tell you. Move on in
3: and stay. Who was C. Smith? Who wrote that song? C. Smith. Hmm. Blondie, you remember who that was? Uh-huh. No, C. Smith.
1: I don't no. I don't remember that. Okay.
3: 1952, recording was made on uh, July 8th of 1952. I love the fact with so many of these old recordings, when you go back, um, country recordings and jazz recordings especially, you will be given the specific date on which the recording was made. The session happened that afternoon, as opposed to the way we record now, when uh, it can take days and weeks and months, you know to uh, to finish a session a little bit is done today a little bit is done tomorrow and uh in the old days you just went in and you did it you recorded can you remember those sessions back in uh, the early 50s was it with the whole
1: uh, the whole band was actually in the room the whole band just like that new album of mine we did that all live you did do that live we did it yeah. live yeah. that's the best way to do it
3: so far this material that we're playing from your early days ray price uh the songs do not feature drums. Right. Drums were not utilized in country music. That's right. Why?
1: Well, they just wasn't. Now, they, Bob Wills had drummer, but, uh, but no that, one But had. that was
3: because it was swing, right?
1: Right. But when you get past east of the Mississippi, like I say, everything changed. And when you get past uh, end of Virginia, then everybody had to have a, a five-string banjo. Uh-huh. You know, it was different locales had different music.
3: And you kind of broke the drum barrier with a recording of yours. I guess so. The song called Crazy Arms. Right. Which also had a unique rhythm to it, didn't mm-hmm. it? Tell about this rhythm.
1: Well, we was doing the session, and and uh, I had heard in my head this beat, and I don't know where it come from. And I told uh, Buddy Harmon, who was the drummer, I said, Buddy, can you do this for me? And it was a shuffle beat. And then I got the bass... We had a hard time picking up bass at that time. It just didn't come across right. So I used a stand-up bass, Joe Zinkin, and then uh, Bradley, Harold Bradley was playing the same thing on electric bass as the stand-up, the Arco. And uh, that started the shuffle beat with a 4-4. Four four.
3: And this became so famous that it became known as the, the, Ray, Price, the Ray Price beat, right? Right. The Ray Price 4-4. Four four. mm mm-hmm. The song is called Crazy Arms. That's it. Yeah, that became a pivotal recording in the history of uh, country music. Because My first number one. Yeah. First million seller. The drums are very subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, you almost really have to concentrate in order to hear them. They are there, and yet how interesting that that was the first time that, uh, that a country artist in that era used a, a drum kit in a recording.
1: Well, you know, I had a great promoter, a great producer, Don Law, and with Columbia Records, and he let me do a lot of things that I wanted to do.
3: Were you now? You were writing as well,
1: not very much. No. So, so,
3: so you were picking up songs from the uh, from the stable of of writers. Right, guys would come and pitch songs to you.
1: Right. Did
3: you ever have Chris Christopherson land on your lawn like no. you know, like Johnny Cash did? You know, you know, you know that story? <laughs> no. Uh,
1: when I got uh, the song for the good times from Chris, it was sent to me by Fred Foster, who uh, had uh, had Chris at the time. And uh, I heard it, I was playing a honky-tonk, in fact, and I told all the boys in man, I said, this one is a good one. Mm. And it was. And it's a great song. And he's a great songwriter. Oh, he
3: is. Extraordinary songwriter. Really. Mm-hmm. And a fellow Marine,
1: too. That's right. That's right, yeah. I believe it. uh, helicopter pilot. Helicopter pilot. Yeah. Marines, yeah. Nice guy. He told me I met him when he was working in a studio in Columbia, and he was sweeping the floors and everything but I don't remember meeting right. him there, right. you know
3: back to Hank Williams for just a second there mm-hmm. are there there are generations now of Hank Williams mm-hmm. um, and there's a Hank Williams the right. third right now who seems to hearken back more to his granddaddy than the middle Hank Williams did
1: that's right I uh, had the pleasure of putting him on the stage at South by Southwest yeah this year. you did you played your bed uh-huh I thought, I thought it was kind of poetic justice uh-huh I you wanted introduced to be, him right
3: oh cool <laughs> That's wonderful. And you like him?
1: Oh, yeah. He's got Absolutely. You looking at him from his back, he's, he's spooky looking. Yeah, yeah. Looks just like the old man, you know. And Of course, I know he's trying to do uh, some of that. Mm-hmm. But he's also got his own thing going. And uh, I told Hank Jr., he came to me years ago and wanted what I thought he ought to do. I told him, do what you want to do, what you feel like doing. Yeah. And it worked. And I think it'll work for this boy.
3: Ray Price is my guest tonight,
1: here on Idiot's Delight at 1027. This
3: is WNEW New York. Not so scary or intimidating, New York,
1: uh, being on New York radio, right? It's relatively no, relaxed. No, uh... I'm enjoying this. So I'm getting an education.
3: Okay. That's worth a trip just for that. Oh, great. All right. got to take care of some commercial business, though. We'll be right back after this.
2: The Concerts East live update presents these great shows. Coming to the Brighton Ball. You get your WOW sticker yet? You better, because WOW sees the nearest you. Go to WNEW.com and click on WOW.
1: The time changes, but the commitment remains the same. In the news, now weeknights at 10, 9
2: central on AD. According to scientists who study this stuff, people blink their eyes 20,000 times at a sensible alternative.
5: Radio Iowa, A.
2: Manhattan at 150 East 58th Street, between 3rd and Lexington. It's the moving sale to end all moving sales.
3: Hello? Have we been off for a while? Oh, we were just chatting. (laughs) See, that's why I have producer Manning here. She's... She's here to remind me from time to time when I get carried away (laughs) while the commercials are on. We're we're so comfortable in here that we're having a chat that uh, should be had on the radio, I guess. (laughs) We're just discussing the fact that some of your songs had to be re-recorded at times because they got tied up in, like, publishing deals and, and record company deals and stuff like that. Sometimes you didn't have control, actually, over the recordings of the songs.
1: Uh. You mean I re-recorded then, or they was recorded by somebody else? No, no, we, where you had to re-record them. No, the only time I re-recorded was the ones that, uh, on Step One Records, that's when we did the the greatest hits. Uh-huh. And, uh...
3: So that was your choice to do that? To do that that way?
1: Well, I, I didn't have a record contract, and they offered me a contract, and uh, it was a chance to, to work, you know, and... Uh, they wanted to do the greatest hits, so we did. Or some of them, anyway.
3: Because here's a version of uh, For the Good Times mm-hmm. that I thought I would play. Okay. But is it is it offensive to you? No. Because it's not the original version?
1: No, no, that doesn't bother me. Yeah, okay. In fact, I've re-recorded some myself just because I liked it better doing yeah. it the other way. Yeah,
3: and and as your voice
1: has changed over right.
3: the years and and matured, and as you have gotten a different outlook, it's probably interesting to go back and revisit some of the songs.
1: That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. All right. Well, let's play this
3: then. This is a uh, this is a Christofferson song, right. right? For the good times. And uh, while well, you claim to not remember him when he was uh, uh, mopping the halls right. at, at Columbia. Right. Somebody did slip this song to you, some publisher oh, yeah. or something,
1: right? And, and uh, brought it to my attention. And of course, uh, I found out how great a writer he was, and I recorded a complete album of Chris's. Of things. Chris's stuff,
3: right. right? And this was long before he started recording his
1: right. stuff. Right.
3: This is for the good times, Ray Price. <music>
5: been together There's no need
1: to watch the bridges
2: that we're burning
7: that would rape Bennington Hmm. and and, uh, because you had a cold there you
3: can tell that he had a cold when he sang that
7: Yeah, I've been I've been with him 33 years
3: so you know huh that's neat
7: yeah and I played the vibes on that on that track on on both of them Uh the original and this
3: Moses Calderon what's your nickname Blonde. Blondie, how did you got? There's no, there's not a blond hair oh, on your no, head. No, how did no, you become known as Blondie? When I was a
7: young little kid, my hair was blond.
3: Really, huh? <clears throat> Till
7: I was about nine years old.
3: So Ray Price, this man knows all your secrets, huh?
1: All of them. Yeah. And I know his too, because right. when oh, his good. hair was right. when his hair was blonde like that, his dad didn't speak to his mother till he turned black. Uh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they weren't quite sure, huh? I see. There was a several years of mystery there regarding that. And uh.
7: well, when they brought it, when they brought for the good times to you, was in Odessa.
1: Odessa, Texas Stardust Club. The Stardust Club. Huh. Skull Archer of the year.
7: Ray, Coleman Says you got to hear this. the dressing room and he played it of course chris was singing it yeah yeah
3: chris christopherson was singing it you know he just re-recorded the song he did yeah last year he did an album in austin with a whole bunch of singers Mm -hmm. um doing second vocals with him and doing duets with him and Mm -hmm. and uh, matreka Berg joined him on a recording of for the good times would you like to hear it yeah okay it's a
1: great song
2: had some time to spend together there's no need to watch the bridges that we're burning along. Against the window Make believe you love me One more time
6: For the good time
3: Great songwriter. He's a funny, sweet, generous, loving man. That's right, Chris Christopherson. That's really right, really is. Really is. Tell me about your relationship with Willie Nelson. Willie actually played in your band at right. one point, right?
1: Well, in Nashville, I had started with the Crazy Arms. I had started the publishing company Pamper Music Publishing, and uh, Willie came to work as a writer. And things got pretty tough for Willie there for a while, and I needed a bass player, so I hired Willie.
3: Now, this is when Willie was uh, short-haired and clean-shaven?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he worked for me for quite a few months, and, of course, God, I've known him as we still work together. And uh, he wrote, uh, well, I recorded Nightlife while he was with me. Right. And... Uh, I think Willie is one of the great songwriters that's come down, just like Christopherson. He's one of them. And uh, Willie was, and I got along just fine. We, I wrote a song one night, and Willie was playing cards with the boys in the band who was in the bus. And I told Willie, I said, come on back in the back we'll write a song, because I don't write very many. So he said, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> And about an hour later, he said, well, I'm ready. And I said, well, the song is, too. So we'd, I'd already written the song. It was Soft Rain. Uh, and uh, he laughed all the time. He says, I'd have made more money with Soft Rain than I did that pair of jacks I had. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's funny. Well, on the Nightlife album, you actually sort of introduce the song by telling a story. Um, It's a device that nobody uses anymore in recording. Do you remember this?
5: When the evening sun goes down You will... Well, hi, neighbors. It is sundown at our house as we make this new Columbia album for you. Oh, the night light We want to thank you for being so nice on our last album. It was wonderful the way you accepted it. And tonight we've chosen some of the songs that we sing and play on our dances across the country, songs that reflect the emotion of the people that live in the nightlife. Song of happiness, sadness, heartbreak, songs of the nightlife. And we hope that you enjoy yourself tonight as you listen to our latest one. This first song was written especially for me by a boy from down in Texas, where... And it's accepted so good on our dances. We hope you like it. It's a little different from what we normally do. But we hope it'll be pleasing to you. So me and the Cherokee Cowboys are knocking on your record player once more. And we hope that you can just kind of sit back, kick off your shoes, and relax just a little bit. And listen to our latest album. And if you like it, tell us about it, won't you? And we'll try to do more things for you, the way we're doing this one. When the evening sun goes down But it's my life. In my life It's my life.
3: Years later, (laughs) 1963, was when the Nightlife uh, album was recorded. Buddy Emmons on the steel guitar.
1: Buddy on steel.
3: And uh, on keyboard, I've always wondered about Hargus Pig Robbins. I've always wondered uh, what, why Hargus got the nickname Pig.
7: Was that him?
1: Yeah, it says Hargus Pig Robbins on piano on
7: that. Yeah, because Ray had said it was Floyd.
1: Yeah, I thought it might have been Floyd. No, no,
7: Floyd was on the Danny Boy album.
1: Well, he was on all my records, didn't he? Yeah. You know. Do we know
3: why why pig came to be called
1: pig?
7: I don't No.
3: Huh? Yeah. Uh, no, it's past me. Okay, all right. I'm just curious about that. I've seen. Well, his, he's a little heavyweight, uh-huh. but uh, <laughs> I don't think that's it. I've seen his name all these years. Uh, recorded Columbia Studios, 804 16th Street South, Nashville. That's it. Was that the place? Was that, that was where the you place. was that where you did all your recording for the most that's part? That's
1: where we did them. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Did you know Patsy Cline? Oh yeah, absolutely. Tell me about Patsy. Oh Patty was sweet. I met her when she was I was playing one time in Winchester, Virginia at the Apple Festival and she and her husband Dick came by and uh, I met him and then when she came to the opera a little later on we became real good friends and wore her right up till the end. Mm-hmm. I really I liked I really liked her. she was a good singer and she was a nice person and uh, I hated to see it happen what happened to her cuz I think it was a little too soon. She was just getting ready to get after it.
3: Yeah, yeah, to break into uh, I mean, a whole other plane there, right, I guess. I'm pl- right. uh, plane. It's not the right word to use there, though, is it? Well, the plane took <laughs> care of it. The plane took care of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so many people passed on in those tragic accidents in those days, Those mm-hmm. those small planes, and there are people who will still do it now. People will still fly in those small things, and look what happens. You know, it's like they're dangerous things. I'm
1: telling you. Yeah. I don't even like to fly on the big ones anymore. I've flown so many miles, I get scared of the odds, uh-huh, yeah, you know. Yeah. And
3: Now, do you still perform a lot every year?
1: We average close to, I would say, about 100 days a year.
3: 100 days a year. Yeah. Now, That's took, a lot
1: for a 74-year-old man. A few years ago, we did, what, 182. Uh-huh. So, and this year, we'll probably go past 100. But it, it's not too bad. I got a comfortable bus when I get through work, and all the guys kind of watch after me. Yeah. And they fuss at me and make fun of me, but they know it's all right, right you know. Right, right. But uh,
3: now you had a place—you had one of those theaters down in Branson for a while.
1: I did for a little while.
3: Were you one of the first down in Branson,
1: or no, no? Uh,
3: Branson, Missouri. Tell—this is a place that's become famous for. Country and and sort of of middle-of-the-road stars going there and building their own theaters and sort of having their fans come to them like a theme park almost, you know, and perform
1: several shows a day in these places. Well, it's kind of changed lately, though. The uh, audience that came were the older people, and they came in the buses, usually in the fall of the year, like September, October, November, when all the kids would go home from vacation. Mm -hmm. And then they would come, and that's recently been interrupted by All of the older people, the buses, are now going to the casinos ah, around the country, and yeah. it's really worked a hardship for in Branson. Yeah, yeah. And they got a little too high, too. They wanted a little bit too much money. They had to change that. Uh-huh. But when you had a theater, it was the Ray Price Theater? It was mine for the for the year. Yeah. And, and, and uh,
3: did you perform five or six shows a day?
1: No, we only did one show a day. Uh-huh. Okay. And then when we played the last time we played at the Gettysburg Theater, we did two shows a day. But two shows a day is, is a little bit too much, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. Where did the term Cherokee cowboy come from?
1: Well, I started that whenever I had, when Hank died, I used the, the uh, Hank William Drifting Cowboys. And, that was his band. Uh, right. You
3: inherited his band, so to
1: speak. I inherited his well, band. Well,
3: isn't it true that you actually sat in for Hank sometimes on nights when he was not able to perform?
1: No. That's not, not true. true. Well, now, take it back. It's true to one sense. In Richmond, Virginia, I did do that. And I may have done it in Makham, Georgia, but only two or three times.
3: And you didn't pretend to be him,
1: did you? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you s- no. they announced Hank was no, not they here. Just, they just said... Uh, Hank's not here. you got to go take his place. And yeah, it's something yeah, like yeah. that. And throw that Christian out there at them lines. Oh. <laughs> oh,
3: God, really? <laughs>
4: that must so, have been scary.
1: So, but uh, I had the band, and and uh, I was, I liked Hank so much. We were so close that my work, I even tried to sound a little bit like him. And, of course, the band makes everybody sound like him if they play behind him. And uh, to get back to the story, so. One night in Colorado, one of the fans come back, and very complimentary, he said, boy, I think you sound more like old Hank every day. And that night I let the band go, uh, going home. I told them, explained to her, they understood. Yeah, yeah. And then I hired a band out of Texas that I'd used called the Western Cherokees. He had been working with Lefty Frizzell before he went to the opera. And when they came to work for me, I had to have a name and we were on the opera that night, and solemn old judge says, George Hayes says, you got to have a name for the band. So I combined the last two names of both men, the Cherokee Cowboys, mm-hmm. and that's how mm-hmm. it came about. Mm-hmm.
3: There was no Cherokee blood in, in your family or anything? No,
1: like there's there, some right? Indian blood, and in. I don't know how much. I know there's some there, yeah. but that yeah. wasn't the reason. Right.
3: It just sounded good. Right. Yeah. It was, it
1: was at the time, it was a name. You
3: know? <laughs> Did, now, the, the Grand Ole Opry... For those of us who didn't grow up listening to it on the radio, was it a nightly occurrence or did it only happen on weekends? Only on Saturday night. Only on Saturday night. Only on Saturday night. And it was a radio broadcast that went out to a good portion of of North America. Um, What happened at the Opry during the week?
1: Well, it was nothing. There was no shows or anything. Just Saturday night. And Friday nights, they had what's called a Friday night frolics. That's where I met Hank when he was in town playing on his radio show. And they had—we all had radio shows, but when we were out where we couldn't get back, somebody always would stand in for us. Uh-huh. And—but uh, it was a Saturday night, the oldest radio show, I guess, in the history of radio, continuous. It's still going on. Still going on. Still
3: going on. on, the Grand Ole Opry. And there's a real hierarchy there, or at least there was back in the old days. It was It was hard to get in. It was hard to kind of break through a um, lot of politics, a lot of behind-the-scenes Absolutely.
1: stuff. Absolutely. Was
3: it one of the things that eventually soured you on uh, the Nashville scene?
1: Well, I had a chance. Philip Morris had came and to Nashville, and a lot of us went down and to get a job with Philip Morris to do a tour.
3: They were going to sponsor the tour? Right. Wow.
1: And uh, I won the thing. And then they told me that, if I went on it, I couldn't be on the Grand Ole Opry anymore because Brian Williamson was a cigarette, Camel Cigarettes was Prince Albert Tobacco, and that uh, was their network uh, show. Uh, uh-huh. 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 Yeah. So so I listened to him, and I stayed. And then about 10 or 12 other acts got on the show It made the man at uh, Philip Morris and he hired a whole, just hired a bunch of them off the Grand Ole Opry. And they told me at the Grand Ole Opry, said, "Now look." These guys come back. They're not coming back to the opera. You're staying. You're here. Huh. So a year later, they all come back to the Grand Ole Opry and went to work. And when they come back to went to work, I told them they could guess the majority. You know what? And I split. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's when I left. Yeah. Never went back. Uh-huh. I go back for appearances every now and then. But you left and went home to Texas. And I went home. Yeah. There's a song on the new
3: album, Ray Price, that... uh. I kind of like to play, after I play Nightlife, because it's sort of like a reworking of the same guy's approach to the nightlife. It's the song called Better Class of Losers, mm-hmm. you, know, you, know, you know which one I'm talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Okay, with you if I play it now?
1: Absolutely. Right, I said I was through with honky-tonks, they only bring me down. So I dressed my best and headed far the brightest spot in town I've watched the rich folks come and go and one thing's very clear there's just as many lonely people here I'm just hanging round a better class of loser
5: it don't matter
1: or champagne I've only found A better Class of losers
5: Uptown, downtown
2: Misery's all The same
1: It's all been downhill for me since baby walked away. I'm down here at the bottom, and I guess that's where I'll stay. I'm looking for an answer, but all that I've seen here is the same old lonely phony atmosphere.
5: I'm just hanging round a better
1: class of losers. It don't matter if you drink beer or champagne,
5: I've only found a better
1: class of losers.
3: Things, I guess, are universal, aren't they, Ray Yeah. Rose? That's a good song, too. Yeah. Harlan Howard wrote Harlan that. Howard. You've been singing Harlan Howard songs for years and years and Long years? Long time. Yeah. First one was Heartaches by the Number. Yeah? Well, I think I have it queued up, Heartaches by the Number. I think I do. No, I don't. Wait a minute, but I want to play it, because I want you to tell me the story of this song, where, oh, right. where it
1: came from. Would you please? Sure. It happened in California. I was playing at Compton Town Hall Party. And I met these kids, this man, his wife, Harlan, and Jan, his wife. And they invited me to come have a cup of coffee with them. They wanted to show me a song. And uh, they sang Heartaches by the Numbers. And it was right after Crazy Arms, and it was a good one. So then I got Harlan to come to Nashville to write for my publishing company. And... uh, I recorded a lot of Harlan songs. Uh, This song I recorded twice because the first time no one played it, it was during a period of the young country stars when they wouldn't play the old acts. Hmm. And so I didn't want, I thought the song was too good to be wasted, so I re-recorded
3: it. Well, this is the 1959 version, so this would have been the first or the second version.
1: That would be the first one. Yeah.
3: In that song, that's what's so much fun about that lyric. But the day that I stop counting is the day that my world will end. As long mm-hmm. as, as long as the heartaches keep coming, I guess he knows he's still, he's still alive and he's, uh, he's in the game still, right? That's it. Uh, heartaches by the number, huge hit for my guest tonight, Ray Price, who will be making his first, ever, appearance before a paying crowd, <laughs> uh, in New York this coming Wednesday night, at the Bottom Line. And that should be a very exciting and uh, a very historic event. You will have a full band with you?
1: I'll have a full band.
3: You'll have your friend Blondie over here? Your, uh, oh, your, yeah, your my company's. right hand. He's yeah.
1: got to be there. Yeah. Will there be, like, uh,
3: horns and strings and stuff? no we?
1: horns, but there'll be strings.
3: Strings? Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, then I wonder, I'm going to pause here to take care of some commercial business. I wonder if the possibility exists that you will play on stage at the bottom line one of my all-time favorite Ray Price songs. I'll show you which one after this.
2: All right. The Concerts East live update
1: presents these great shows. Time changes, but the commitment remains.
6: Me? I'm what they call a sinus sufferer. Well, I used to be anyway, because I finally figured out how
3: And we're back here on Idiot's Delight with me, Vince Kelsa, and my guest tonight, Ray Price. Blondie Calderon is here as well is uh, Ray's long-time accompanist and, and pianist and right-hand man, the man who knows where all the skeletons are <laughs> buried in, in which closets and probably has the keys to all of them as well. Ray, you're 74 years old. Mm-hmm. You're happy doing this right mm-hmm. now? Yes, I am. This is what you'd want to be doing? This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. You have a ranch back in Texas? Yes, you raise, small place. You raise thoroughbred horses? A few. You have a family back there. Do you have a wife back there? I have a
1: wife. I have a son. I've been. In fact, uh, I don't know if I can go back home today. Why it my thirtieth anniversary? Today is your thirtieth anniversary. Today.
3: Did you call her and wish her a happy anniversary?
1: You better believe it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I said before that I wondered if uh, on Wednesday night at the Bottom Line you would perform a certain song, which is one of the most well-known Ray Price songs, and since you've got strings performing with you at the bottom line, um, is there a pretty good chance that Make the World Go Away? Absolutely. Will be a tune that uh, that you will get to?
1: We will absolutely do that.
3: Now let me see which machine I put it in. I think it's over here. Nope, that's not it. You know what? I screwed up. Hold on a second. I got the wrong, I got, it was a beautiful introduction to the wrong track. Make the world go away. away. Here it goes.
1: Who wrote this song? This song was written by Hank Cochran.
3: Hank Cochran wrote it. Right. Oh. And did he record it at first, or did you get the first shot? No,
1: I got the first shot at it, and then after I had a hit with it, Eddie Arnold recorded it Mm -hmm. and had a big hit with it. Yeah, right, right.
5: sorry if I hurt you I'll make it up day by day just tell me you still love me and make the world For the world took me astray If you do
3: Big crossover hit for Ray Price, yeah. because I remember as a kid here in New York hearing that song on the radio, on WNEW and even on the top 40 stations mm. at the time in uh, in the late 50s and on into the 60s. Do you think it was because of the strings? Did the strings kind of uh, ur- urbanize the music a bit and make it more palatable to the northern ears that were used to the more big band Sinatra, Tony Bennett-type arrangements?
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. And, you know, at that time, country music needed a bigger audience, really needed a bigger audience. And that was my way of trying to appeal to a bigger audience and make it a little more palatable Mm -hmm. to them. It wouldn't be quite the honky-tonk sound that some people just didn't like.
3: But that was not necessarily uh, a completely accepted move on your part. No. No, it wasn't. Took some took some uh, guff from some people.
1: I guess. Huh? <laughs> I took a lot of guff. Yeah, yeah. Just that only makes me that much hard headed, you know. I mean? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Did you know Buddy Holly at all? Did your pads know? No, cross? I didn't know Buddy.
1: Yeah. I didn't, and uh, I think Buddy was on a tour somewhere, and we were right behind him when the accident happened. In fact, Waylon was on the same plane, and he gave his seat gave up. Gave his seat up. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: They say that that Ray Price is sort of um, the link from Hank Williams to the guys who became known as the outlaws, mm-hmm. the, the the Willie Nelsons, the Waylon Jennings, the Merle Haggards, all those guys. Is that a fair assumption, do you think?
1: Yeah, except I was the first outlaw. You were the first. You were I even, was the first one. Yeah. Of course, I didn't take advantage of like Willie did, and uh, that wasn't what I meant to be. I was... By being an outlaw, I was hard-headed and wanted to do things I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do anything that people would hate or dislike. Uh, I didn't want that. But I stood by my guns. You just wanted to do it your way. I just wanted to do that way. And
3: the guys who have survived all these years from that generation are those guys, the guys who did it their way.
1: If you don't do it, how can you be you? Right. Right. Exactly.
3: Ray Price is my guest tonight. You're on Idiots' Delight. Can I play a fun thing for you? Sure. One of your old recordings that I hadn't really listened to in a long time, and uh, I was going through uh, listening to things over the last couple of weeks, and I came across a track called um, you Done Me Wrong." Mm-hmm. All right, from 1956. George Jones and I wrote that. Together. Okay, George Jones. And uh, it reminded me of a song that I knew some 10 years later. And I wonder if you're aware of this similarity. It's kind of a famous song that was used in a famous movie. I'll play your song first. Okay.
5: Well, you tell me that you care, but now you're gone. You got me crying. No use denying. You done me wrong. Good look inside your heart, maybe I would know the reason Why you were leaving me all alone Well, you know it's not so When you say it's hard, but you know you lie I didn't do one wrong thing to you Won't you tell me, baby, why you went and left me here so lonely I miss you home, or I love you are so long well you're telling everyone what you done you think it's funny well listen honey you done me wrong well you know it's not so when you say it tight well you know you lied i didn't do one wrong thing to you won't you tell me baby why You hold me <laughs> I love
3: you so that was in 1956 ray price recording now flash forward i don't know 10 12 years it was a very very famous movie called easy rider remember easy rider mm-hmm. dennis hopper and uh, uh, fonda peter fonda right. the, the two rebels out on the road on the 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 motorcycles and they're going to new orleans to do a drug deal and uh they meet up with a lawyer in a small, dusty town, and the lawyer turns out to be Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's this very straight-laced guy. And they turn Jack Nicholson on to some pot. It's okay if I mention pot in front of you, isn't it?
1: As far as I'm concerned, yeah. why not? <laughs> is, it,
3: is it true you got, is it true you got busted just a couple of years ago, Ray
1: Price? No, last year, just last year. Yeah. <laughs> how
3: did you manage to do
1: that? Oh, it took me a long time to figure out how to get some publicity. Uh huh. That's not the way. <laughs> Willie called me and said, "Well, by God, you just got five million dollars worth of publicity."
3: <laughs> You could have come out and said you had been abused as a child or something. That would have gotten you publicity, you know. You didn't have to get busted.
1: Did they put you in jail? Oh, yeah. Jeez, Yeah, put me down there. Talk to me. They were real nice about it, though. I'm I'm sure they were. Oh, yeah. And
3: you've joined the ranks of some wonderful people who have been busted for pot over
1: the years. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a bad law. It is a bad law. Damn right. Yeah. Where was I?
3: Oh so so they turn uh, they turn Jack Nicholson onto pot right mm-hmm. and the, the scene is now the three of them are out on cycles. Nicholson is riding behind Dennis Hopper I guess. he's wearing his football helmet and uh, it's just this wild crazy scene. does it does it you know do you recollect it at all? The music playing in the background was a song by a folk group called the Holy Modal Rounders. Now see if this doesn't sound familiar to you. If
6: you want be a bird.
3: Is this the first time you're hearing of this? It's the first time. Yeah, I think the statute of limitations has run out, though. I don't think you can sue anybody at this point. Blondie, that's real close, isn't it? Oh, man, that's funny. Well, sometimes there's just melodies in the air, I guess. Right. People get them when they get them. You know? Ray Price is my guest tonight here on Idiot's Delight. The new album, the first new album in, what, nine years? Nine years. It's called Prisoner of Love. Right. And uh, I thought it might be nice to play that the title track, Prisoner of Love. Okay. If that's okay with you. Fine. Uh, I just seem to be having trouble remembering what machines I'm putting things in. This is an old standard song. I want to think that, was it Vaughn Monroe?
1: Who Russ had hit,
3: Who? Russ Columbo had it?
1: I think so, and okay. then
3: uh, Perry Como hit okay. it. Okay, so it's a crooner kind of a song, then, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And uh, a nice selection for you to do. And Von Moreau may have had it too. Yeah, you it's know. possible, because yeah. he would fit into that crooner right. thing. But Russ Colombo, huh? Hmm. Prisoner of Love, from Ray Price. <laughs>
1: Tonight you'll find me Too weak to break the chains that bind me I need no shackles to remind me I'm just a prisoner of love For one command I stand and wait now From one who's master of my fate now I can't escape for it's too late now I'm just a prisoner of love.
5: another for I'm not free. She's in my dreams awake or
1: sleeping. Upon my knees to her I'm creeping. My very life is in her keeping. I'm just a prisoner of love. Command, I stand and wait now From one who's master of my fate now I can't escape for it's too late now I'm just a prisoner of love What's the good of my caring If someone is sharing those arms with me
5: Although she has another I can't have another for I'm not
4: free.
1: She's in my dreams, awake or sleeping. Upon my knees to her I'm creeping. My very life is in her keeping. I'm just a prisoner of love.
3: So there you have the title track, a brand new recording from the legendary Ray Price, who is my guest tonight here on Idiot's Delight. So you're happy with the sound of this album? Oh, yeah, I really am. I'm real happy with it. Yeah. I have a question to ask you. Hmm? A lot of people back in the 60s who were established in various fields, be it country music or pop music, the Brill Building crew here in New York, the songwriters who wrote all the great pop songs, had a very difficult time dealing with rock and roll, and uh, especially with the great songwriters who came out of rock and roll. Not so much dealing with the popularity of Elvis, because Elvis was a performer, not really a songwriter, Mm -hmm. but dealing with the Beatles, dealing with Lennon and McCartney, dealing with Bob Dylan, dealing with this whole new form of performer who wrote his or or her own songs. Something that actually harkened back to Hank Williams, certainly, mm-hmm. who was, uh, and, and Jimmy Rogers and people like that who sang their own songs. What sort of vibe did you get when the Beatles hit big in 1963? What was the feeling? Were you, were you still in Nashville at that point?
1: I was still in Nashville, <clears throat> and I had a, a young son that was a Beatle crazy. So he was about five. And I listened to the guys. I did one of their songs uh, yesterday few years back Uh and then randall uh jamel brought me this song of in my life and i had a i had some problems with it not singing it so much as to sing it where it would sound like it was me Mm. because all i had was a record of the the beatles and i couldn't do it that way so we worked on it finally finally turned out right and and after I really wasn't happy with a song till we got the finally got it right, and then I liked it. Uh-huh. So you didn't find yourself part
3: of any kind of enormous um, backlash no. against these guys no, back no. in those days. No. Was there in Nashville at the time? Were there people? No, who were, there
1: was no backlash. Uh, I thought they was doing great. They was bringing music to a whole lot of people, uh-huh. and the thing was just blossoming like a big flower. You know, uh-huh. of course uh-huh. they did fantastic, and uh, I guess Paul McCartney's still doing fantastic. Yeah.
3: The guys who were scared, I think, were the guys in the Brill Building, the guys who had made their livings writing songs for other people, the songwriters mm-hmm. and song pluggers, because they knew that suddenly the sea had changed and um, and there wasn't going to be as much call for their services anymore. And that's where it really changed things, I think.
1: Well, I hope it didn't change too much because I'm looking forward to some of those good songs and some of the songwriters. You're still, you're still looking for good songs? Absolutely, yeah. always.
3: Yeah, okay. Well, you did a nice job on this Lennon and McCartney tune, Ray Price. Thanks. So let's play it.
1: There are places I'll remember all my life, though some have changed, some forever. Not for better Some have gone And some remain All these places Have their moments With lovers and friends I still can recall Some are dead And some are living In my life I've loved them all
5: But of all these friends and lovers There is no one that
1: compares
5: with you
1: And these memories lose their meaning When I think of love As something new Though I know I'll never lose Affection For people and things That went before I know I'll often stop And think about them In my life I love you more
3: I think the older the singer for that song, the more meaningful the song becomes. It's right it, you know? down the line. Yeah, yeah. In My Life, of course, the Lennon and McCartney song. It's performed by Ray Price on his new album, the album called Prisoner of Love. Uh, did you think you'd live this long? Or, you know, no, so I, ma- I was
1: sort of like the old boy. I said, if I knew I was going to live as long, I took better care of myself. <laughs> well, you look like you're in pretty good shape. Oh, I feel good. I'm outside all the time working yeah. and and exercising. It's yeah. good for everybody.
3: Yeah, but you've seen a lot of friends um, oh, fall yeah. by the wayside, you know, and it must well, must provide a kind of melancholy sometimes when you think back.
1: Well, it does. You know, uh, when you get in your 70s, that's when your friends start dropping off around you. First thing you know, it. he's so like my mother, bless her heart, she passed away a couple of years ago at 95, mm-hmm. and all her friends were gone. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a hard proposition. But getting old ain't for sissies.
3: No, uh, no, it's uh, it, the, when you consider the alternative,
1: it's, it's all right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: But you're right. As, uh, as things begin to fall apart and uh, as you face more and more problems, it be- becomes a challenge, doesn't it? To, right. uh, and to k- not only keep alive and healthy, but to keep vibrant and alert and creative and not just sit in front of a television set and, and, and vegetate. you I hear know? that. And, uh, and obviously that's uh, what you've managed to avoid doing all these years.
1: Well, I'm going to try to do it as long as I can. If As long as I can sing good, I want to work and uh, try to entertain the people and kind of show the old folks, hey, you don't get too old. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I feel great. I feel like I'm in really in the prime right now as to what we're doing, and I'm kind of realizing a, a lot of things now that I've always wanted to do. Uh-huh. And it's finally happened.
3: You mean in terms of broadening your repertoire? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: You must know Johnny Cash. Absolutely. Yeah. How's he doing these days? How's he
1: Johnny's feeling? doing? All right. I think Johnny was, has been ill for a while. Yeah. But uh, seems to be doing fine. And uh, Waylon, I think, got sick. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And everybody's going pretty good. Willie, of course, is still romping and stomping <laughs> yeah. down there. Just put out a new album. Right. Yeah. We'll be together in... Uh, the 4th of July, of course.
3: Oh, yeah? You're going to do Willie's thing? The, oh, yeah, the we do it every year. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. For the, uh, the farm aid?
1: Well, it won't be the farm aid down there. It'll just be Willie's picnic. Just, just the picnic. Uh-huh. Huh? Right.
3: June Carter Cash was here last year with mm-hmm. her son and uh, and a band. And um, at one point uh, along the way, I said, so, uh, so where's Johnny? You know, she was playing a couple of nights down at the mm-hmm. bottom line. And she goes, she said, well, Johnny's back in the hotel room. I told him to come, and he said... No, June, this is your night. You go. So I said, uh, I'm, I'm like a huge fan, right? I, I said, Johnny Cash is back in the hotel room listening to us right now. And she goes, mm-hmm, he better be. <laughs> and, I, and I got all nervous, you know. It's like, I was probably more nervous knowing that he was listening on the mm-hmm. other end than if he had been in the room watching, you know. He's like one of those uh, extraordinary mythological figures, isn't he?
1: Yeah, Johnny's John fine.
3: I want to play one more song from your new album. Again, an old standard that uh, you bring such a touching reading to.
1: I see trees of green, red roses too.
3: Ray Price, you did a fine job on that song. Thank you. That's a hard one to cover. That's a hard one to do because it's it's got a couple of real keen interpretations that have been etched in people's hearts and ears mm-hmm. for so many years, especially the the Louis Armstrong version of it. Right. But you did a real fine job with it. Real Thank kind you. of kind of a late night kind of a bluesy, wonderful uh, world. I think there. And, uh, I think that's the keyboard work of. Uh, you, that's Blondie playing keyboard on that track, I right? Playing vibes. You played Vibes on that one? Yeah. Yeah, There's a nice kind of a bluesy feel on that. Real good. What a wonderful world. And you will find it on the brand new Ray Price album called Prisoner of Love. First album in almost a decade. It's on Justice Records out of Houston, Texas. And it is available everywhere. Ray Price will be available on stage. An historic appearance. First time ever. Performing before a paying audience. At the bottom line this coming Wednesday night. Man has managed to avoid New York for uh, sixty years. <laughs> now, now, have you come to New York just to like visit friends and go to the theater and do touristy things, or do you just stay away from New York completely?
1: Well, we have so much work going on that it, it's not around yeah. New York. Uh-huh. And uh, to tell you the truth, nobody's invited me up or hired me to come play. That's the reason why I haven't been here. I'm that, not trying to ignore New York. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. That's what happened. Hmm. One of those things. Yeah. yeah. But I'm here now. I hope it don't throw me out. <laughs> no, no, no. They, you will be welcome with open arms, I can assure you. When my friend Alex Miller
3: called me up a couple of months ago and said, Would you like to have Ray Price on, on your show? I was immediately sort of intimidated. I was like, Ray Price, my God. That's like a that's like a huge book. What can we do on the radio? We can only begin to uh, scrape the surface of the story of that man and all the things that he's touched and all the recordings that he's made. And that's what we've done tonight. We've, we've scraped the surface. So You're going to have to promise to come back at some point along
1: the way. I certainly will. I, I can't uh, begin to tell you how much I appreciate it, Vince.
3: And the next time we'll see if we can get a, an, an acoustic or, as Dr. John says, acoustic, acoustic piano. In yeah. here, and maybe you'll uh, sing a song or two for us. I got as well. Blondie;
1: we can do it. Okay, all right.
3: Well, I will set you on your way back into uh, the New York night with one more of the famous Ray Price recordings, going back a number of years, and it's the appropriate one as I release you from your obligation to being on the radio tonight to play a song called "Release Me."
5: you. Let me go I don't love you
0: you have it it's uh it's a lot of fun listening to that again i don't think i've uh, heard it since the night that it aired live on wnew fm radio uh, back in uh when was it june uh june 11th 2000 the great ray price what a Funny man, and uh, what a what an open guy, you know. And he called me Vince, and usually I get all upset when people call me Vince, but it was fine. It's just it was the natural thing. He didn't know me. He'd never met me before. He had never heard me on the radio. He's not from New York. This is the most natural thing in the world for him to mishear the Vince Skelsa. A lot of people think I'm Vince it's it's vin and for a certain small group of people vinny vinny applies but uh uh i i actually en- enjoyed hearing him call me vince it was, <laughs> it was great so uh almost 2 hours well actually yeah 2 hours of live radio with um Ray price the Commercials, I I just sort of cut the commercials to a couple of seconds each just so you'd hear what kind of stuff was advertised and what it sounded like a little bit on radio back in in, uh, 2000. I think the album came out, uh, that album Prisoner of Love, uh, I think it came out in, like, May of that year, so it was still very new in June, and his appearance at the bottom line was uh, going to be a big deal, as many appearances by many people at the bottom line were over the years. So this has been episode 21 of uh, of the of the Kate and Vince Gelza podcast, and we're going to do more of these uh, air checks Because I'm sort of, I'm sort of, I sort of have the, the impetus to do it, Um, which I don't seem to have with the, with the whole, like, talking about my career thing. So we just have to figure a way, this is what Kate really wants me to do. We have to figure out a way to get her involved um, as, as well on, on Mike. Okay, so thanks for listening and uh I hope you enjoyed uh that little slice of uh radio from 18 years ago. Oh, you probably want to know when Ray Price died. Um he lasted quite a quite a while after that. Uh, Ray Price died in 2013 on December 16th. So he uh He had a a good uh, long run and uh, some incredible, groundbreaking recordings. Okay, I'm Vince Gelsa. I thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.